A momentary warning for this chapter. I do yell quite a lot because there is yelling happening. So be aware. Part two of Snape, the home fries Nazi. Okay, that was surprise number one. Kind of a big one, and kind of amazing that he admitted to being bent, and Snape didn't go into the mother of all conniption fits and secretly sterilize the silverware after every meal. Once he and Ginny had broken up, it was one of those it's a secret but everyone knows why deals, and he'd been surprised at the people who treated him like a leper, and surprised at the people who didn't. His relationship with Ron was never the same. Knowing Ron as well as he did, the first thing Ron thought of when he saw him was, I had my mouth around that guy's dick, and the second was, hi Harry. Surprise number two was that Snape had a serious hard-on for film noir and hard-boiled mysteries, which explained why his speech was now peppered with anachronistic expressions that Harry didn't understand, but he assumed were gleaned from American films of the 40s and 50s. In anyone else, it would be endearing. It certainly explained the HD television set. It certainly explained the HD television set, because you didn't really need HDTV to see a bunch of 250-pound guys in helmets and pads trying to kill each other every Sunday afternoon. Well, maybe Snape did. When Harry ventured a question about why film noir, Snape replied, It is visually stunning, and inevitably, several people get killed, if not killed, then betrayed, and if they aren't dead by the end, they wish they were. Sort of like the last 30 years of your life. Exactly, Mr. Potter, Snape raised the eyebrow. Do you expect me to watch Disney films? Bambi's mother gets killed? Good, I dislike venison. Then there were the mysteries. After sneaking peeks at Snape's bookshelves, Harry was shocked to see that the majority of them were mysteries, not the tomes and the dark arts that he'd expected. You like mysteries? Harry asked at dinner on Friday night. There's a mystery bookstore in Scottsdale that sends me a box of books every month. The bleaker, the better. If you're interested, I suggest starting off with the gods of mystery writing, Hammett and Chandler, then work your way through the rest. So, Harry did. It was an oddly companionable setup. They made the long drive to and from the diner in silence, then showered when they got home. After a shower, Harry would then nap on the couch for an hour or two, waking up around five, at which Snape would dish up a salad or some fruit, nuts, and yogurt concoction. They'd eat, and Harry would wash up. If they didn't watch a DVD, they sat reading in comfortable silence until eight, when they'd put the lights out and crash, and start all over again. The second afternoon, Harry suggested putting the extra dining chairs in a corral around the john with a sheet draped over them to make a screen. I just like a little privacy when I... Okay? Agreed. As the week passed, Harry either grew muscles, or the muscles he had stopped aching, because by Sunday he felt physically alright. He and Juan had just finished hosing the last of the kitchen mats when Juan opened the screen door a bit and peeked his head around the doorframe. He then beckoned to Harry to stand watch. He's still busy, man. I gotta have a smoke. I'm dying here. Keep an eye out for me. He'll kill me if he sees me. Harry gamely stood by the door, while Juan half hid behind the dumpster light up and then took a deep drag on a cigarette. Read me good the last time he caught me. Practically had scorch marks on my ass. Harry nodded. He knew how that felt. You guys knowed each other? Before? Uh, yeah. Harry didn't know how much Snape had disclosed about his former life, so he didn't say anything more. Figured, you both talk weird. No offense. He talks weirder than you. Plus, you act like you know what he wants. Curly went sick last year and we got a replacement in. That dude was so lazy, thought Smith was gonna kill him. So you knowed him for a long time, and you're still working here? Harry grinned. I'm stupid that way. Hey, hey, don't get me wrong. He protested, holding both hands up in the air, and then realizing the cigarette was aloft. He quickly brought it behind his back. Mr. Smith is a bastard and a half. Never had a boss ride my ass like him. But he's fair in his weird-ass way, and the only one who's willing to give me a second chance. Smith's a good dude that way. Me, Hector, Carlos, Gurley. Jolos like us don't get second chances. He pays real good, too. Something we can actually live on, and don't have to work no two jobs. When I applied here, the first thing my parole officer did was call Smith and tell him what a loser I was. That I'd be back in the can within two weeks. 
Mr. Smith told me he said that. Then he said in that voice of his, Mr. Perez, you will prove him wrong. Just like that. Like I could prove him wrong. And I did. Asshole. When old man Lee next door retires next year, we're gonna take over his space and open a bakery. Me and Mr. Smith gonna be partners. I'm okay at cooking, but I'm a fucking genius at making pies and shit. Gonna give me some pie action happening here. This was said with some rather spectacularly coordinated arm movements, which made no sense to Harry whatsoever. It was sort of gratifying that on one level he'd been dead right about the staff being a bunch of ex-cons. Gratifying on a totally, I really wish I hadn't been right about that level, but the idea of Snape running some sort of halfway house for cons was mind-boggling. Well, maybe not. Perhaps of anyone, Snape knew that people often made stupid choices. Plus, the Death Eater thing. Snape probably considered these guys as threatening as a bunch of three-year-olds. What's a home fries Nazi? Harry asked. You know, Seinfeld, soup Nazi, home fries Nazi, get it? Harry shook his head. Juan rolled his eyes, completely incredulous, much in the way Ron used to when Harry didn't even know basic wizarding customs. Harry, don't you be shitting me. you never seen Seinfeld? They had had a television, sure, but he didn't get to watch much of it, and he doubted that Uncle Vernon would watch anything American. He distrusted Americans on principle. He thought they were a nation of hooligans. I was raised by my Uncle Nance. Didn't believe in the telly. They were... were religious fanatics. That wasn't too far off the mark. They were Harry-hating fanatics, that's for sure. Got some of those in my family. They speak in tongues. Thing is just fucking crazy. Like, straightjacket crazy. Are they like that? Harry nodded, because Uncle Vernon should be locked up in a mental institution as far as Harry was concerned. Weird-ass motherfuckers. Anyway, on this episode of Seinfeld, there was this dude who ran a small place, kind of like this, and he served soup. He was a total asshole, yelling at his customers and shit, but people kept coming back because the soup was so good, just like you-know-who. This was said with a thumb hiked toward the diner. Harry grinned. He didn't need to have a PhD in pop culture to get the reference. Who's still clear? Harry nodded. He could still hear the soft click, click click of the calculator. Juan took another couple of drags, crushed out a cigarette, then threw the butt in the dumpster. While Harry bent over to pick up a mat, Juan waved his arms to dispel the smoke. Gotta destroy the evidence. I'll help you in a second. Let's get these mats inside and get our asses. Mr. Perez, you've been smoking. Snape's disembodied voice came through the screen. No, Mr. Smith, Juan lied. Harry and Juan shared a conspiratorial grin. You are lying, Mr. Perez. I would like to get home sometime this century, Mr. Potter. Juan rolled his eyes and then beckoned Harry behind the dumpster with a sneaky finger. Been meaning to tell you, don't get on Carlos's shit list, okay? Like I done some really bad shit, stuff I'm not proud of, but what I done is Sunday school compared to Carlos. They just haven't found the bodies, you read me? Harry nodded. He done some really bad shit, hasn't he? Juan whispered, looking toward the back door. Harry looked down and didn't answer. How do you translate Death Eater into Muggle and then American? It's okay, I know. Can see it in his eyes. He got eyes like us. Hard in the middle. That's why he understands about second chances. Really hard to come back from shit like that. Real hard. Juan paused. But you, Harry? I can't figure you out, man. You had bad shit done to you. Can see that too. What you doing here? Harry heaved a mat across his shoulders. Sometimes, when you have bad shit done to you, you need a second chance too. Juan shook his head. That's fucked, man. He was a little nervous when their weekend came up, because then they'd be together for two whole days. Not that they weren't together all the time anyway, but having a grill and a dishwasher between them for six hours a day was some small measure of distance, like visiting the Sioux and having iron bars between you and the man-eating tiger. But it was all right. They slept in until eight and had a leisurely pot of tea while reading the previous day's papers. In silence. In between loading the washing machine and hanging stuff out to dry, Harry cleaned the bathroom, Snape dusted, swept, and mopped in silence. By one o'clock, they were done. 
We need to drive into town for food and then make a quick stop at the nursery, if you please. Snape informed him as they finished up a late lunch. Sure, why? wondered Harry as he struggled to spear a crouton with his fork. I plan to spend tomorrow brewing a potion for Mr. Vasquez. He comes home from hospital today. Despite my dire predictions, his doctors have not yet killed him. But it is only a matter of time. They are, no doubt, pumping him full of pharmaceuticals that are more toxic than anything else. I am brewing him something that will help his heart and not destroy his liver in the process. Harry knew this was height of folly, but plowed ahead anyway. Snape, Mr. Smith. Smith, don't you think that maybe he should, like, listen to his doctors? American muggle doctors, Mr. Potter. Lithuanian muggle bricklayers couldn't have been said with any more contempt. Right, sorry, my mistake. When do you want to leave? The next day, they slept in again. After breakfast, Snape handed Harry the keys to the truck and said, Explore. There is civilization 100 miles down this road. Harry took that as Snape for, I want some privacy. Harry found a Walmart. He bought a cheap folding screen to replace the dining room chairs that circled around the john, a perch for Hedwig, a set of towels so that he wouldn't have to use Snape's damp seconds, a set of dish towels and pendants for the ones he'd ruined, a case of beer, another set of dishes, because even with Harry's woefully inadequate housekeeping skills, it seemed that they needed more than two plates, and about $100 in candles. A wrong turn brought him into a parking lot with a deli, where he was able to buy a decent bottle of wine and some bread and cheese for dinner. He rolled into the driveway of the Adobe schoolhouse around six, starving. Snape was decanting some potion into small vials, each labeled with the day of the week. Everything go okay? That earned him the look. Sorry, what was I thinking? Hungry? Bought some bread and cheese. That earned him a nod. The folding screen met with approval, as did the towels and dishes. Snape's face froze a little when he saw Harry placing the candles all over the room. I miss them, Harry challenged. Snape didn't say anything, but returned to slicing the baguette. It took Harry almost 15 minutes to light the candles, because there were so many of them. They sat down to eat, the bread and cheese a lovely break from the salads and yogurt. Harry poured the last of the wine into their glasses, noting he needed to pick up some decent wine glasses on his next Walmart run. The overwrought Victorian furniture didn't look so forbidding in the candlelight. The gentle light softened the elaborate carving and heavy prints, and Harry realized that this was how it was probably meant to be seen, in candlelight or gaslights, that the soft glow was its metier, not the harsh, unforgiving Arizona sunlight. I miss the candles, he repeated. Snape nodded. It didn't take occlumency to know that Snape was also thinking of how the magic candles had floated above their heads in the Great Hall. Snape said in a quiet voice, Did you know that in the last years of their marriage, the Empress Josephine, who was many years older than Napoleon, would never let him see her except in candlelight? She was afraid she would appear old and haggard. Candlelight hides many sins. I was certain that the Dark Lord was a student of Napoleon's campaigns. The greatest Dark Lord ever studied the military genius of a Mughal corsair. It is impossible not to be amused. There are too many similarities in his tactics for it to be merely coincidence. Take, for example... As Snape continued to talk about what Voldemort had learned from Napoleon's defeat in Russia and the Egypt campaign, Harry, for the first time, realized how exceptionally beautiful Snape's voice was. Harry didn't think he'd ever heard Snape's voice without its contemptuous sneer, whether it be lecturing them about complicated potions that they were too stupid to brew, or what imbeciles they were in general, or meeting out detentions, or docking house points for imaginary shortfalls. This voice was soft and low, sensual even, and yet every consonant and vowel given its due. Harry asked a question or two, but after a while, the wine took over, and he fell asleep at the table. Before he knew it, Snape was leading him over to the couch, helping him lie down and covering him up with a light blanket. The faintly cinnamony scent filled the air as Snape blew out the candles. Then the room was dark, and Harry began to fall asleep again. It was nearly there, just dropping off, when he heard a quiet, Thank you, Mr. Potter. This began a lights-out question-and-answer thing. Harry never asked more than one question a night, somehow knowing that he'd be pushing it otherwise. Snape. Mr. Smith. Smith, 
Why do they call Guillermo Curly? I understand that it was because they shortened Guillermo to Mo, but at some point he became Curly because he's really more of a Curly, apparently. Mo? Curly? As in the Three Stooges. After receiving that woefully inadequate explanation, I actually rented a Three Stooges movie, the Nadia of American comedy, and that's saying something. The Dark Lord wasted his energy on casting the Cruciatus in order to gain information. He merely had to bind his victims and force them to watch the Three Stooges. I assure you that within ten minutes they would have been singing like canaries. Good night, Mr. Potter. Snape? Mr. Smith. Smith? You don't get lonely out here. If you wanted to carry on conversations with jackrabbits or cactus, yeah, this is the place. But other than that... Such a stupid question barely deserves an answer. I lived with 300 people for 35 years. Believe it or not, I consider this a luxury, and I will again when you leave. Good night, Mr. Potter. Snape? Mr. Smith. Smith? Why the sunglasses when you're cooking? Years of living in a dungeon have sensitized my eyes to the point that if I do not wear glasses in this incessant sunlight, my eyes tear constantly. Makes you look really scary with a bald head. There is that. Good night, Mr. Potter. Snape? Mr. Smith. Smith, why are the crew so... Uh, respectful toward you? Why are they afraid of me? Yeah. At times, Snape's brutal honesty was refreshing. Mr. Potter, despite all the horrible events in your life and the amount of evil you have faced, you've never understood evil. Albus Dumbledore considered that a blessing. I considered it a curse. In the end, it didn't matter. The crew at the diner fears me, which in their world equals respect, because they understand evil. They understand that evil is essentially the will and the desire to do anything to achieve what one wants. I will not say that they see me as evil, perhaps they might, but they do see it is that I have no fear. If you do not fear, then you are capable of anything. I was terrified from the moment I set foot in Hogwarts until I killed him. Yes, I know, hence my eternal frustration with you. Fortunately, your fear was eclipsed by your bravery, and stupidity, and your infernal luck. Mr. Morales could carve out your liver without breaking a sweat. Most certainly, but he knows that he would not emerge unscathed, wand or no wand. Good night, Mr. Potter. Snape? Mr. Smith. Smith. Do you miss Hogwarts? There is a long pause. Yes, I do. I miss my chambers, my potions laboratory. I miss Professor Dumbledore on occasion. Professor McGonagall once in a blue moon. Nothing else. Nothing else? I was not welcome anywhere in the general wizarding community, Mr. Potter. Even for you, this level of naivety is ridiculous. Would not for Albus Dumbledore. I was a Death Eater. You stupid boy. To them, my innocence was more of a tragedy than cause for celebration. Got me there. And I'm no longer a boy. Do you miss teaching? Good night, Mr. Potter, Snape said in between snorts of laughter. There was still no letter from McGonagall. Harry collected the mail every morning to sort out the newspapers so he could throw them in the front seat of the truck. The rest of the mail went on Snape's desk. On Thursday, as they were finishing up, Juan stopped him. Hey, Harry, you want to join me and my friends in a game of soccer? Around five at the park. Our goalie got arrested last night? Parole bust. Stupid fucker. Told him not to carry that gun. Anyway, you must have played soccer. You got that accent. Um, no. Not since I was a really small kid. Not a particularly pleasant memory, as Dudley has used it as an excuse to ram into Harry every chance he got. Harry's insides clenched in that horrible precursor to sudden tears because what he had played was Quidditch. He looked away to pull himself together. You okay? Juan placed a hand on Harry's shoulder. Yeah, fine. Harry lied with a weak smile. 
It actually sounded fun, being with people more or less his own age. Plus, he liked Juan a lot. He reminded him of Ron. Nice, easygoing. He'd probably been a pretty nice bank robber as far as bank robbers went. Probably said please when he asked you to get down on the floor. If you're sure, I'm probably pants at it. Yeah, that'd be fun. Then he thought of Snape. Mr. Smith. You will take me home, and then you may use the truck. Juan smacked him on the back. Cool, see you at five. Bring some beer. Hotter than shit out there today. When he arrived, everyone was already there. Apparently, it was a family thing. Wives and girlfriends were parked on blankets setting up for dinner, while toddlers batted balloons around and played in waiting pools spotting the lawn. The players were already on the field kicking the ball around. Juan broke from the pack when he saw Harry crossing the lawn. Hey, Harry, over here. He beckoned Harry over to a blanket, where a young Latina woman with shocking pink eyeshadow was feeding a small baby. Put your beer in the cooler. Carmelita, this is Harry, the guy at work who took over from Hector. Hi, Harry, she beamed. She had bands on her teeth. What's up? We're gonna whip their asses, that's what's up. That's Cesar, he said, pointing to the baby in Carmelita's lap. And that's Angela, the one with the bow in her hair. He pointed at a young child splashing in a wading pool not far from them. Come on, we can start now that you're here. Juan, just to warn you, I don't really know what I'm doing, Harry reminded him. It's cool. Guys, this is Harry. He's going to be our goalie. He works for Smith. That got him a few looks of respect, and as if to punctuate it, Juan said, Yeah, so don't mess with him. Don't worry, Juan said under his breath. Just stop the ball. That's all you have to do. Besides, with our defense, you've got nothing to worry about. That was like Ron too, that cocky bravado, because the ball was continuously getting by the defense. By dint of thinking, okay, it's just a large snitch, you can catch this thing, Harry stopped it every time. It was both brutal and exhilarating playing in that heat. Ten minutes into the game, everyone took off their shirts. No matter how hot it got, Harry was determined to keep his on, as his scarring from the war was quite extensive. When he saw everyone else's stomachs and backs, pockmarked with what he assumed were old knife and gunshot wounds, he shed his long with the rest of them. Hex scars didn't look any different than knife scars. They won. Afterward, Juan did a series of victory cartwheels into Carmelita yelled at him, Juan, stop showing off and get your ass over here! We're hungry! They stayed until the stars came out, feasting on fast food chicken, chips, salsa, and cold beer. As they were finishing up the last of the Coronas, Harry stifled a large yawn. The children lay asleep in Juan's lap while Carmelita was over at another blanket chatting with her friends. Around nine, Harry roused himself and stood up. Need to get going before I fall asleep. I get up earlier than you and I've got a long drive. Yeah, you head off. We'll pack up. No problem. Thanks for the beer. I had a great time. Thanks for the invite and dinner. You've got a nice family. Me and Lila go back forever. Smith won't make me a partner until I marry her. Said to me last month, Mr. Perez, you will marry that woman before I sign any papers. I do not trust men who do not honor their obligations to their families. Juan intoned in what was surprisingly good English accent and a spot-on imitation of Snape at his frostiest. That man kills me. Anyway, we got married last week. Not that I'm going to tell him that. It's kind of fun getting all twitchy about shit like that. Harry laughed. I could be friends with this guy, he thought. Those scars, I got some, but nothing like you. Yeah, well, you know, he mumbled and left it at that, hoping that Juan wouldn't push it, that there was some sort of code between criminals that stopped you from pressing for details about old scars. You had some nasty shit done to you, didn't you? You could say that. You're one of us, man. The letter arrived from McGonagall the next day. Harry recognized the spiky writing and handed it to Snape, who had already put on his glasses and was about to don his apron. Snape snatched the letter from Harry's hand and went out the back door to read it. The other three crew members turned to him for an explanation. Harry shrugged. He really hadn't a clue as to what McGonagall was going to say. After a couple of minutes, Snape stomped back into the kitchen and slammed the door behind him so hard that they all jumped. Shaking the letter in Harry's face, Snape growled, We'll discuss this later, Mr. Potter. That was if Snape didn't kill Harry before the end of his shift. 
Whatever had been in the letter had set him off. Snape was livid, lashing out Harry every five minutes for some imaginary fault, like roaring for more glasses when they had tons of clean glasses, stuff like that. Then there were the glares from the crew. What did you do, man? One whispered. I don't know, Harry said out of the side of his mouth. You fixed this, Harry, warned Carlos. You hear me? It was just like being a student and a total pariah because of Snape's prolific docking of house points. Why have one person furious at you when you can have an entire diner full of people hate you? Even the customers were giving him dirty looks. What? Harry began as they got into the truck. Not one word until we get home. Silence! By the time they reached the schoolhouse, Harry was equally furious. This was the Snape he knew and hated. The Snape who punished first and asked questions later, if at all. Snape didn't even wait for the truck to fully stop. They were still rolling to a stop when he got out and stalked to the house. Harry cut the engine and sprinted across the front yard to follow him inside. It was Harry who slammed the door this time, ready for a fight, ready to just rip into... and would have done, except Snape marched over to the bed and pulled a gun out from under the mattress. Harry's mouth dropped open, his mouth dry with total fear. Fuck. Snape had gone around the twist completely. He was going to kill him. Harry eased a hand down his hip to get his wand. Don't even think about it, Mr. Potter, Snape warned. Further fishing produced a box of bullets, and with sure fingers, he loaded bullets into the chamber, spun it, marched over to where he was standing, and handed it to Harry. Here, do it. Shoot yourself. In the backyard, if you please. I have no intention of cleaning your brains off of my floor. Take it. Harry shook his head frantically, and backed away from the gun, terrified. His back hit the front door. Snape came within an inch of him. Harry shoved his back against the door, wondering if he could make the door disappear without using his wand so he could get away. Snape leaned his head so close to Harry's that the wing of one of his sunglasses dug into the side of Harry's temple as he shouted in his ears, You didn't think that in addition to announcing you were bent that you might have mentioned that you'd been to St. Mungo's for six months on suicide watch before you came here, how you packed up your flat, sold nearly everything, and didn't tell anyone you were leaving. I thought you came here to commit suicide, Mr. Potter. Do you even have a plane ticket home? No, stuttered Harry. I thought not. Which was said with so much vehemence, Harry could feel the spittle on his ear. How could you even think? Look, you just don't know. Oh, please, Mr. Potter, I don't know. What could I possibly not know, you sniveling little wretch? At that, Snape backed off and began pacing in front of Harry like some frustrated jungle cat. Fuck off! I've watched my magic die day after day. If that wasn't bad enough, even when I knew, when I knew, I thought that it would still work with Ginny. We could still have a house, a family, like my parents had, and, and, and do you know what it's like telling a woman you love, but you don't desire, and never will, that you can't marry her, because not only are you turning into a squib, but you're gay, and her tits just don't turn you on, and you see the hurt and resignation, and oh Christ, how everyone hated me for that, like it was my fault. Ron won't look me in the eye anymore. Mr. Weasley was always limited. I've lost my magic in case you've forgotten. And yes, for your information, Mr. Potter, I know exactly what it's like to be homosexual in a world that does not understand and does not accept. Do you think you were the only wizard who was a poof, a pillow biter, a shirt lifter? Okay, okay, so you're gay as well. Bravo, Harry clapped. Imagine that went over well at Death Eater Central. Exactly, idiot. Which is why no one else knows. I, at least, had the sense not to booze it up and then fuck my best friend. I did not. How did you know? You on open book, Snape sneered. Fuck you! It was just one stupid night and it wasn't my fault. If you'd had any friends to lose, you'd know what I was feeling! Harry shouted. This was denigrating into something horrible and ugly, but Harry couldn't stop himself. You and your childish digs. Nothing is ever enough for you. It wasn't enough that you fought the Dark Lord and saved thousands of people, muggle and wizard, from torture and death. That as decimated as the wizarding world is, it has survived. Wounded, yes, but it survived. You can't take the solace from that, you fool. I didn't have a choice, now did I? Voldemort made sure of that. I had to fight, Harry challenged. Snape shoved the gun in his direction again, 
Nonsense. Of course you had a choice. I'm giving you a choice now, which you seem loath to take, much to my surprise. We all have choices. You can kill yourself or not. And ten years ago, you could have run away, dissolved into London, cashed in your galleons, and lived as a muggle. You didn't. You fought a fight where you weren't allowed to name any of the terms, and you won. Why isn't it enough? But we haven't come to the real reason for your charming visit, have we? Harry flinched. For nearly two weeks, I've wondered why you were here. Professor McGonagall's letter finally supplied the answer. How dare you! How dare you come here and pretend you wanted my advice! I did want your advice, insisted Harry. I did! Oh, is that what you told yourself? I think not. You came here to commit suicide. Your vengeance for Dumbledore's death finally realized. Don't you dare deny it. And by doing so, I would be exposed. That my life here... The hand, not holding the gun, swept wide. A life I've cobbled together with enormous hard work would be over. The entire wizarding world would descend and blame me. How happy they would be, now that they could finally hang something on that bastard Snape. I might as well use the gun after you, because no one would believe that you'd taken your own life. Or, even if they did, they'd insist I could have stopped you. The fact that you'd been in St. Mungo's for months would be immaterial. They'd blame me, and be happy to do so. I'd be lucky if they killed me. I'd be- No! No! I didn't mean for that to happen. I wasn't even sure. I wasn't... Spare me your empty protests. Harry had mentally only gone from A to C. Fly to Arizona. Find Snape. Ask your questions. He never thought much about D, E, and F, because to do that would force him to realize he didn't really think Snape would have the answers. Or, if he did, he'd let Harry just twist in the wind as his magic died once and for all. Because this was Snape, after all, wasn't it? How dare Snape not suffer like the rest of them, like himself? What if this had been a sick last-ditch effort to hurt Snape like he'd been hurt? Because he never came to Arizona with the slightest bit of hope, just resolve. Following the alphabet to its conclusion, Snape was right. He'd kill himself, and by doing so, punish Snape for killing Dumbledore, even though Snape had had no choice in the tower. Just like Harry had no choice in the cave. In the bright light of the schoolhouse, Snape standing in front of him, shaking with rage, the remnants of Snape's old life surrounded by his new... This now seemed most craven, and, if Harry had believed in a Christian god, truly sinful. Because he'd not so much meant to hurt Snape as he had done nothing to stop himself from what he now knew was, yes, the willingness to do anything to get what he wanted, and what he wanted was revenge. And what better a tool for his revenge than Snape? A squib. A man hated by 99% of the wizarding world. A defenseless man. The perfect lightning rod for his displaced and rootless rage over Dumbledore's death, his own complicity in that death, the erosion of his friendship with Ron, the collapse of his relationship with Ginny, and finally, the impending death of his magic. Harry closed his eyes. His shame was so great. Make a choice, Mr. Potter. The safety's on, by the way. Life or death, now. Snape ordered, and Harry heard the door to the bell tower open and slam shut. Harry was alone with Snape's hideous Victorian furniture and a loaded gun. What in the fuck was a safety? Pick the gun up from the table where Snape had placed it, the steel cool in his hand. Moving in slow motion lest he set it off, he put it in the drawer with the knives and forks. Snape obviously had handled the gun before. Harry would let him put it back in its hidey hole. There were thirty-four steps to the top of the bell tower. He'd never noticed before. Snape stood rigid, overlooking the desert in front of him. He did not acknowledge Harry. I'm sorry. Snape said nothing. I didn't know what to do with the gun. I put it in with the cutlery. Would you please unload it and put it away later? It frightens me. That got a nod. Please. I'm sorry. Harry knew that he should offer to go, to leave, that what he had done was unconscionable, but he couldn't bring himself to offer because he wasn't sure he wanted to leave, and he didn't have anywhere else to go. Noted. They stood in silence for some minutes before Stape said, 
Hedwig is nesting. There's a ratty-looking black owl that has been hovering around for the last few days with the glint in his eye. She's built a nest in the eave there. We shall have owlets soon, if I'm not mistaken. Sure enough, Hedwig is roosting atop a bunch of twigs. How long does it hurt? This pain. Three years. Give or take. Harry grabbed the top of the parapet. Mr. Potter, losing magic is like losing a self. It is a separate entity. You are mourning someone, your magical self. You will gradually come to accept that loss. The love you have for it will never go away. When a person dies, do you love them any less? Like all mourning, the pain will ease over time. Three years living with this sense he'd lost a limb, that he was crippled, essentially. Three years was a long time, but not forever. Okay, he could do this. Right. He'd wash dishes, read Snape's entire library, watch a few hundred football games. Oh my god, he thought. He had no right to be here anymore. No right. Why Snape hadn't kicked him out on his arse by now, he didn't know, because he would have had had he been in Snape's shoes. He might have taken a gun to him. Don't send me away. Don't. Dear God, I couldn't bear it. Please. I don't. I'm sorry. So sorry. He started crying, grabbing onto Snape's shoulders and shaking him because he was so frightened. Because for the first time in years, he'd not been waking up at the question, will I kill myself today? The putting away of the gun was an acknowledgement that terms were within his grasp. It might not be tomorrow, or next week, but it might be here. There was a possibility that he'd just royally fucked that up. Calm yourself, Mr. Potter, Snape ordered, then wrapped his arms around him and let him cry it out. When Harry was at the sniffling stage, Snape stepped back to look at him. Harry wiped his eyes. We shall see, Mr. Potter. Now look, there is other magic. Magic that doesn't need a wand. He pointed to the sunset. This is Anship, end of part two. I'm doing these in slightly shorter increments because Jesus Christ is it long. So there's probably going to be more like four or five parts. I'm not really sure yet. But there's another end. I hope you enjoyed.